Hey friends, welcome to Free and Light, a podcast designed to help you slow down and live in rhythm with Jesus so that you can experience the life he offers, this life he called life to the full. Hey, I'm your host, Tim Shelton, and I am so glad you're joining us this month as we unpack the spiritual practice of remembering. In our last episode, my friends and I talked about this idea that if we want to persevere and even thrive spiritually in the most difficult seasons of life, it's essential, and I would even say critical, that we learn how to remember the faithfulness of God. One of my mentors said it best. He said, great leaders have great memories. And I just love that. What he meant was when life gets weary, when we are tired and worn out, when we don't have a lot in the tank, we have to remember the faithfulness of God. We have to do what King David did in Psalm 77. And I want to read this to you because it's one of my uh, favorite passages. King David says, But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts, and I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. I love that. Remembering what God has done in my life uh, is something that I've been getting better at over the last eight or 10 years. And how this plays out practically is through the practice of journaling. And we talked a little bit about this on the last episode. So, If you missed that, make sure you go back and check out episode 12. Journaling has been critical to help me process what God is doing in real time. Uh, I write it down and and write down what he speaks to me. And then every so often I do this one really important thing. I, I go back and I read over my journal. And friend, let me just tell you, there is so much power in this practice of looking back through your journal Uh, And as I do, God reminds me of his faithfulness and teaches me something uh, about what he wants to do in my life uh, as well. And so, you know, I just want to encourage you, if you aren't journaling, gosh, get started. And and just to encourage you in that, uh, I want to give you a journal, or at least I would say three of you listening. We, We want to do just a little bit of a contest or a giveaway, if you will, just as a way that we can encourage you to start the practice of journaling, start the practice of remembering what God is doing in your life. And so here's, here is the deal. Here's the contest. Here's the the giveaway, if you will. For the next two weeks, we're going to run this until June 30th and pick a winner on July 1st or three winners on July 1st. First, take a screenshot of this episode or, or episode 12, either one, um, on this practice we call remembering. So take a screenshot of episode 12 called remembering. We want you to post it to Instagram or Facebook, and you need to do two things as you post that picture. First tag us. Our handle is at we seek well. So I'll say that again. Our handle is at we seek well, and then put the hashtag free and light podcast, and we will search uh, that hashtag on July 1st, and uh, and we'll pick three lucky winners. And we're not just going to give you a journal. We're going to give you a Sequel t-shirt as well. It's just our way of saying, hey, this practice is a big deal. Learning to remember the faithfulness of God and writing it down in a journal, it, it's a really big deal. And so anything we can do to support you in that, we, we want to do that. So uh, this episode is about a conversation I had with my friend, Adam Schultz. 
And before I kind of tell you about Adam, I want to ask you a question. Do you have something in your life that happened to you as a kid? And if you're being really honest, it has formed a part of you. Maybe a part of you that you don't like. Uh, Maybe it's a short temper or a shame that you carry around or a belief that you'll never be enough. If that's you, then friend, buckle up because you are in for one heck of a conversation. Here's a little picture of Adam's life. He grew up in an alcoholic home, divorced parents. And there was a moment or several moments of significant trauma in his life that uh, for a long time, he would say, defined him as a person. He became uh, bitter and angry and it carried over into his you know, uh, late twenties and early thirties. And, uh, this story is about how he came to grips with that, how God healed him in the midst of his bitterness and anger. I don't want to spoil it for you, but let me just say this over the last 18 months, God has totally renovated this part of Adam's heart and it is just beautiful. And that question I asked you, you know, about childhood trauma, Adam lived with a short temper and anger and shame and not feeling good enough. So if that is you, you need to hear this story. With that being said, here is my conversation with Adam Schultz. Adam Schultz, welcome to Free and Light. So good to be here. Yeah. So we have known each other a couple of years now, uh, gotten to know your family just a little bit. Uh, actually, my wife got to meet Angie for the second, well, got to, meet, got to see her for the second time just a few weekends ago, one of our retreat experiences. And she was like, I'm all in on Angie Schultz. So apparently you married up. Oh, for sure. (laughs) It's not just you and Angie. You got a couple of kids uh, floating around. Tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, Three kids. So oldest, uh, Yira, she is sixth grade. She's 11, jumping full into being a middle schooler and all that that brings with it. Um, That's a trip. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Our middle daughter, uh, Eden, she's nine and just rocking, rocking school. And then Paxton is seven, first grade, and he's... He's all boy. I mean, he's, you know, the toy swords and guns. Like <laughs> he found a pocket knife of mine. He's like, can I just hold on to this? I was like, you're sure. Well, let me teach you how to use it. You, you may not be ready for that, but sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like I'm ready. Don't tell your mom, yeah. you know, kind of one of those deals. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes without saying your life is busy. It It is full over capacity. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, busy so. is the word. I hate to use the word busy, I but it's, it's busy. Yeah. I, I, my pet peeve is, how are you doing? I'm busy. Yeah. But that's our stock you'll, answer. You'll probably never hear me say busy, but I'll say I'm, I am full or I'm overmaxed. Yeah. 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 So you got a, you've got a full life. You've got a lot going on. Uh, you are a pastor yep. uh, at Oak Point Church here in Michigan. And so you lead a pretty sizable ministry. Tell, tell our audience kind of what you do for as a day job. Yeah. So... A couple things. So the last five years, yeah, leading a young adults ministry as part of Oak Point um, called Sozo. And that's, I love it. You know, it's good. Yeah. A good size ministry for sure. Um, Man, it's working with the next generations coming up and um, 
basically getting to debunk the myths that, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z's are apathetic and don't care and have no passion for Jesus. And that's just, it's just not true. Mm -hmm. And then like, I love walking through the transitions of, you know, high school into college, college into what the heck am I going to do with my life? Who should I marry? What does marriage look like? Mm -hmm. Then like, how do I even have children? Mm -hmm. So all the big, all the big transitions. Yeah. Angie and I get to walk with young adults through and it's, that's incredible. So that's, that used to be my entire job. Um, now it's like 15% mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I work with the entire like adult ministry team, um, at Oak Point for discipleship. So, so that's that, been the last, last five, six months. So is that kind of men's women's ministry all the way down to Sozo? Yeah. So yeah, men's ministry, women's ministry, uh, we have like regional community pastors. So all of our life groups, uh, marriage ministry, prayer ministry, all the stuff. That's a, that's a big uh, job. That's a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm probably far underqualified <laughs> <laughs> for it. I asked for a lot of help and there's just like, Jesus, what I'm like, why me? Yeah. And uh, what the heck do you want me to do? Yeah. It's interesting what you're doing now because of what God has done in your life over the last two years. And that's where I kind of want to dive into a little bit of our conversation. So you're, you're a pastor. Yeah. Um, our audience has gotten to know you just a little bit. But you applied for refresh, uh, and kind of the question we ask men and, and for women we ask it of encourage is, are you tired? Are you worn out? If so, apply for refresh. Um, tell us just a little bit about what your answers to those questions, are you tired? Are you worn out? When you applied for refresh in the fall of uh, 2019, like what was going on in your life? Yeah, so it was a few years into working, um, at Oak Point, which is, you know, it's a bigger church for sure. Um, definitely different levels of leadership, different level of pace. Um, a lot more people involved in that sense. Um, like the ministry was much larger than I'd ever been used to. Um, I was in youth ministry prior to that. And so it just took a whole nother level of like every single aspect of me, spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, kids were getting of age where sports were becoming more, um, marriage was getting more complex. And so like my ability to just like put my head down and drive, which I'm good at, and it's part of kind of personality and who I am, um, that was becoming like less of an ability to do it and to still like keep my crap together. Mm. And so, and then like just cracks, I would say just cracks in the armor of like past was coming up, um, still had a rocky relationship with my dad. And so that was starting to come into play uh, as I was getting more taxed um, in ministry, like putting myself out there more longer hours, stuff like that. So it's funny how that happens. You know, the faster we go, the more we can't keep it together. Um, And and I don't know if it's a balanced thing or not, but it's, it tends to be like, like, I like that word you use, the cracks start to get exposed. Mm -hmm. Because when you're moving at a, you know, at a, at a normal pace, you can kind of cover up. Oh, know? yeah. You can be a little bit more aware. But when you're moving 100 miles an hour, the filter just tends to, <laughs> you know, not be as strong. And, uh, you know, at least for me, I find myself saying things. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to say that. Or, oh, that's not who I really am, except it is who I re- really am, you know, and those cracks start to get exposed. Mm-hmm. I, as you're telling me this, I would imagine those, some of those same things were happening to you. Yeah. And there were, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there were some big, some big moments in there, um, where like, I just, I just lost my mind. Mm. Um, again, like pretty good at living a good structured life. Like I have, I'm super rigid on just time with the Lord. Um, super rigid on Sabbath in a good way, healthy way. Sure. Um, I built in like solitude days, like once a month, like that was just, that's been ongoing past seven, eight years. Uh, but then some of those big transition times where life just got bigger and more, um, and then stress of kids come in, like there are a couple just giant blowups that, mm-hmm. um, that I just had with my kids. And one of those, like, oh, that's an indicator of something yeah. that's way bigger going on under the surface. Yeah. And then like... Sought some good counseling, um, but then it was just like I need I need something more, uh, and something that's going to expose me um, yeah. to just a reality of what's going on underneath more. And, and I didn't know at the time when you applied, but I, I just in getting to know you, you had already I didn't know you had done counseling. Um, I didn't know you were pretty proficient in things like the Enneagram mm. and Strength Finders. You had kind of done some self assessment or uh, diet, you know, self work, mm-hmm. kind of that sort of thing. But I think that's really uh, interesting that you say that. So, uh, you know, outside looking in, if I'm looking at your life from 30,000 feet, I'm like, steady progression of faith in Christ, like you're growing. You are spending time with him pretty regularly. You're practicing Sabbath, which is unheard of in this culture. Nobody does that. Which I can't wait to talk about that episode <laughs> in, the, in the fall. Uh, so in a lot of ways, you're doing all the right things. You may be wouldn't have used the word spiritual rhythm then, but there was a rhythm to your life, at least from the practices you were doing the practices. Mm -hmm. But this is what I want our audience to hear is that has to go hand in hand with healing. It can't be one or the other. You have to have rhythm and you've got to pursue healing. And that's what God did in your life. Uh, Not at refresh, but maybe refresh or, you know, the, the whole experience got to be a little bit of a part of that. I think it was experience two or three where I start to see the um, kind of the wheels turning in your brain. Do you, do you remember which one it was? Was it two or three? Yeah, it was uh, definitely more so three. Okay. Um, and that was like on idols. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, part of my story had, had done a lot of work on lies, agreements, um, looking at some of the wounds that happened in my life. And so God had to do a, like a good amount of healing in there, I think, to prepare me to learn about idols. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, so just pause here, because yeah. I know when we say idols, our, <laughs> uh, our audience is not thinking about the same things that we're thinking about, right? What we're thinking about is core motivation, yep. what really drives us at the core of our being. So power, approval, comfort, and control, those four things. Um, we're not talking about money's an idol or... Uh, figurines in, in in the living room or, right. or even the statues, you know, that you read about in the Old Testament. We're talking about the core motivation of our life. So just to make sure everybody's on the same playing field there, which of the four of those core motivating idols really look kind of like, if for me, I was four for four, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like, which of the ones was like that, that was the one for me. Yeah, I would say yes. Um, like I was, <laughs> all of them <laughs> feel like, I'm like, oh, I'm on a hall of fame around this. This is great. Um, no, of of the four, if I had to say one was far more, you know, prominent, it was, it was the approval one, mm-hmm. um, at least at first. And then, you know, through through a lot of time, through just spending time with the Lord, it's like, all right, where 
what's the root? What's the root of all of these? But mm-hmm. approval has been huge um, in, you know, talking with different people, especially Bill, even on the weekend um, and sharing more of my story. He was like, oh, well, of course, of course, that's the most prominent one. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, oh, like you have an alcoholic dad, you know, like you didn't feel seen, you didn't feel cared for, you know, he didn't show up in your life. I'm like, well, yeah, like, isn't that normal? He was mm-hmm. like, well, yes and no. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is a big deal that you need to spend more time with. And that's, that's all I needed to hear was, oh, I need to, I need to go deeper into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, that was like the, the diving board into. Yeah. And you had already known you're an Enneagram. I think you're a three, right? I'm an eight. You're an eight. Okay. I, yeah. I thought you were a three. I'm a three. So uh, approval is a big one for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so you had already done some work, like like I said, Enneagram, strength finder, that sort of thing. Yep. But this approval thing popped up. So before uh, we get to, you know, kind of how Jesus worked in that, I just want to ask a question about, tell us a little bit about your dad growing up. Yeah, he... Um, Definitely one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. Um, most talented. He was construction guy, uh, builder. I mean, he could build anything. Um, he could map out anything. He could draw it. Like super creative. Uh, in that, though, he was by far one of the most passive people I've ever met, um, and just lazy in general. Uh, and that really comes from just a fear of failing. Mm-hmm. So. One of the big, I mean, one of the big things he coped with, um, and kind of squashing that pain and hurt was alcohol. And so alcoholic for the majority of his life, um, that, you know, was part of the fact of, you know, my parents getting divorced when I was super young. And so we would, we'd go to his house, my sister and myself, she's a little bit older than I am. We'd go there every other weekend. Um, he became, you know, sober, he stopped drinking when I was five, but then replaced, that with, you know, just a different coping thing. Um, so our, I mean, the story was, you know, we would, we would be there, but he wasn't present. Um, and, and I don't ask that to like, you know, rag on your dad. Um, and it's just, you know, we, we learn these things, uh, consciously or subconsciously in some way, shape or form. And I'm not a counselor, but I've been to counseling a fair amount. And uh, so I, I know this and it doesn't matter if your parents are amazing Mm -hmm. or if they, you know, really struggled in in your formative years, we all get, have trauma and it all, it wounds us. And it's uh, super discouraging being a parent (laughs) because I'm like, I am wounding my kid. This, this is tough. But, um, how did that sort of, kind of four or five years while he was an alcoholic, your parents got divorced. How did that play into kind of the approval thing for you? I remember like asking and writing that question in my journal of like, Jesus, where, where is the genesis of these? And immediately like Jesus took me back to uh, an experience when I was four uh, with my dad. And like, that was kind of, you know, where really all this stemmed from was, you know, an experience that we had. Um, he was an alcoholic. He was at a party. Think of your typical, like kind of country song backwoods party. Like this was it. <laughs> um, and I just remember like he had spent the day with these guys, like putting so much care into building an outhouse because they knew that they were going to have a raging party and they're going to need it. Um, there was a keg and then there was like a cooler of, of Kool-Aid and 
you know, so we were just like gulping all day long of this Kool-Aid. I knew I couldn't touch the beer. You know, it's like, don't touch this, touch this. And, mm. you know, there's a big party. I think my dad wanted to protect my sister and I. Um, he locked us in his truck, like unscrewed the locks. Four years old. Four years old. You know, she was, she was six. Um, and so in that, I was like, okay, the genesis of all these were, okay, like I didn't feel seen. Um, I was like beating on this window. Like I had to pee so bad because, you know, I drank too much Kool-Aid. And in that moment, I was like, man, like we should be protected. Like we should Mm -hmm. be like one, not only seen, but like we should be cared for. And so like really came over, like you want to protect your sister, but like this is a chaotic situation. And so you have to take control over this. And did somebody let you out? Yes, but I have have no idea who. Um, It was a woman. Um, I don't know who she was. But I, I was allowed to get out. My sister was not. I was able to pee, and then I was, like, shoved right back in. Wow. Uh, I should remember that. And, um, man, just, like, it was, like, I can still, like, I can see the black Chevy pickup truck. I can see the interior. Um, we didn't have booster seats. Like, my mm-hmm. dad was a construction guy, so we sat on, like, the 10 mm-hmm. or 20-pound mm-hmm. boxes of nails. Like, I see those. I see bottles on the back. And did he drive home? Uh Yeah. Um, I remember us us driving home. I was in the passenger seat and like we drove into a ditch or he drove into a ditch. And I just remember like seeing like the weeds in the ditch, uh, like right, like right by my face and like the window didn't break, which is great. But then, um, I just remember walking down this like really dark road. Like it was a dirt road going through the woods. Dad's kind of stumbling and I'm like, I never want to be in this situation ever again. What was your relationship with your dad like through high school then? Because that that marks a boy. Yeah. You know, what like what was it like growing up? Yeah, so we like we worked together. So I like that was my summer job. Like I would construction. do I would do construction with him, mm-hmm. we would do roofs. Um he always had some addition that he was putting on. So we would we had a lot of time together. Um, but the anger in me was so like so big. One point like like I was contemplating, how can I push him off this roof without mm-hmm. getting caught? Um, and, and like physically, like, like mentally thinking through, I think I can do this and it could look like an accident. You know, I was big into sports. Um, he would come to football games cause he could hide in the stands, but like, yeah. you know, baseball was probably my favorite, like never came to baseball games. So like that, that approval of like wanting to be seen, yeah. like the striving, the, I'm going to live in this gym so that like I could be the best. Yeah. Um, so he'll come and he'll want to watch. Yeah. And so that was it, built it, into it. And how did that play out in your late twenties, early thirties? I assumed that because we had kids now that the past that we had of him not showing up would change because it's like, who doesn't want to see grandkids, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and he didn't. And we had to really fight for any time. Um, and any time that we were able to give, like, was never enough. Um, he made it pretty clear about that. Um, we we would invite him up a lot to Michigan, you know, even like, I'll come pick you up. I'll, I'll pay for a bus ticket, whatever. And he came twice. And even that was, it was, it was tough. My wife would joke, if you, if you want to see me really, really angry, just put me, just put me with my dad. Uh, one night, I, well, during the day, I had a conversation with my mom about the amount of time we could spend there with my dad, the amount of time we could spend there, my sister, my wife's family. And 
on all sides, it was just not enough. Like we didn't have enough time, you know, and there's kids in the mix. And, and that night I was uh, praying uh, like over my, my kids, my, my two daughters at the time. And uh, they were on bunk beds and I had my hand on one in the bottom and the other on top. And I was praying and my, my middle daughter, Eden, took my hand and I thought she was just holding it. But she like bit my pinky and it hurt. Like her, her tooth like went under my cuticle and it hurt so bad. And I lost my mind. Like I grabbed her and like I shook her and like I like I screamed in her face. And Angie like walks in and I just remember just holding her and rocking and just being like, I'm so sorry. It's mm-hmm. not your fault. Like you didn't do it. Like don't bite me ever again, please. But mm-hmm. like, you know, please forgive me. And that was like, that was kind of the start of, of the unravel. Um, and I felt the same way, like heading into refresh of like, there's something that's underneath and that pressure's building. And I don't like, I don't want to blow up. What did healing look like for you over the next couple of months? Like, did, was there something you had to do? Uh, did you spend some time journaling? Did you talk to a counselor? Like, what did that look like? You know, it's a lot of, it's, it's Bible, it's journal. Um, and just asking a lot of questions, um, a lot of just sitting in silence and listening. I've tried to build in this additional day a month where, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it's nice out. So at that particular time of the year, um, there's a state park, Island Lake State Park. There's a river bend, picnic area. There's literally a picnic table right on the Huron River. And that's where I do all my message prep. And like I had my Bible and a journal there. And I'm I'm still processing through this Hey, this happened June 13th. It's, you know, the end of the month. Um, Jesus, what do I do? Like, what do I do with this? Where does the gospel fit into like all this pain and hurt that's in my life? Uh, And like through that day, it was just like, I would sit and I would listen, I'd pray and I'd go hike for a bit, kind of unpack some stuff and come back. And it was just Jesus revealing more and more of like, Hey, like your need for approval, like my gospel speaks right to that. Like, you are my son. Mm-hmm. Like this is identity. Like you're going after identity and you're trying to find it in all these other places. Me and my work on the cross, like that makes you a son. So let me, let me deal with that with you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, your need for power, like, no, like actually I want you to, like, I want you to be humble. Like I want you to serve. You don't, you don't need to overpower people. Like you've got that in you. Like I need you to use that for good. And so basically it was just like, Jesus, where does the gospel confront every single lie and every single idol in my life. I'm a professional Christian. Yeah. And I don't, there's parts of me that don't believe in the gospel. I, I know for me in, in my own uh, uh, story of healing, it was really helpful to ask Jesus to show me when my brokenness started. And I love a part of your story where he took you back and showed you the black Chevy. Mm-hmm. What, for me, when he did that for me, different uh, story, different set of circumstances, but it was almost like because I could see it, the healing started. Um, did you have any of that happening when, when you saw the black Chevy and you remember driving into the ditch and kind of the whole thing? Oh, man, yes. Um, I, I could pull out. <laughs> I could pull out my journal and show you the picture of that event and like how the picnic tables were set up, where the fire pit was, like where the truck was in conjunction, where the ditch was, the outhouse that was built. And, and then the different parts of me, like Jesus, where were you? And, and some people would say, oh, you're over spiritualizing this. Sure. But, um, what, what I believe God spoke to me in those moments were 
Like, I'm the one who came and opened that door. I'm the one who was sitting with you, like, inside that truck. Like, I'm the one who guided the truck into the ditch so, like, the window wouldn't break. And so, like, those moments were so big. And to say, like, I, like, I saw you. Like, you are my son. Yeah, like, it hurts, but, like, you weren't destroyed. And so, like, even from the very beginning, like, I've been walking with you and I've been faithful to you in ways that your dad never would have been able to. That started a huge renovation of my heart. Every one of these lies, these agreements we make, the this idol that we attach ourselves to power, approval, comfort, control, every one of these, they start with a story. Yeah. They did in my life. They did in your life. They do in every man, every woman I know. It starts somewhere. And when we uncover that, when we choose not to believe that lie, break the agreement and ask Jesus, where were you at in that moment? Reveal to me where it started. Where mm-hmm. were you at in that moment? There is a healing that happens. And I think we miss this in the gospel a lot where we think it's about just salvation and not healing. And if when I read scripture more and more, especially the New Testament, a lot of times when you're reading about what Jesus did and it says something about salvation, what he was actually doing is healing. Yeah. And the irony of your ministry and your story is just, I, I can't get over it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's irony. What God did in your life is the same thing he wants to do in all of our lives, which is not just to save us, but to heal us so that we can have life to the full. And it played out in a really important way in your life. Your dad gets sick and you did not have a good relationship with your dad still at that point. So just tell us like a little bit of the story, like your dad gets sick. You've got to take care of him. Like what happened? He called in August um, for my daughter's birthday And so we hadn't talked since then. And he called October 22nd and I answered and he sounded, he sounded off. Mm. And it was in that moment where I was like, oh no, like something is desperately wrong. And we talked a little bit. I was like, dad, what's going on health wise? Um, He's like, I'm fine. I'm just really tired. Um, Like, okay. Like we had a men's retreat for Oak Point that weekend, but I remember driving up with a buddy and I was like, I, I'm pretty sure my dad has cancer and he's going to die. He was like, how do you know? I'm like, Holy cow. I don't know, but that's what I think. Um, you know, got back on Sunday, called him again. Didn't want to go to the doctor. Um, we basically, my sister and I just called an ambulance and was like, you need to say yes. Uh, that was on a Monday and you know, it was at night. He went to Akron. He lives in Akron, Ohio. Um, went to the hospital. We drove down, you know, after the test, it was, you know, lung cancer. I mean, he, he had smoked for 50 years of his life. Um, so not, not uncommon, that's for sure. Um, but it came on super fast. Oak point, you know, they were incredible. They're like, take whatever time you need. They knew, they knew the extent of our relationship. And over that, over the weekend from when I talked to him on Friday and when I talked to him again on Sunday, like it got, had to move some mountains, um, in me of like, I've wanted him to die for so many years and now like, I don't, I don't want him to because like the healing that he started in, in June and like walking through and seeing him for who he was and wanting, like wanting to forgive him and then like literally forgiving him thousands of times um, throughout my life and choosing that, man, I remember driving down, getting my sister in the waiting room and us walking into his room 
and seeing him and like, I saw his eyes and he was a scared little boy. And like, I, I just, I saw him as a scared little boy sitting in a corner and having no idea what to do and knowing like that was his entire life of, he was a scared little boy and he didn't know what to do. So he hid. Um, and so then from then it was 40 days, um, until he passed. I think I, yeah, I was, I was by his bed for, I think 38 of them. It was a lot of gas money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a lot of gas money, a lot of, um, FaceTime with my wife and the kids. Um, I think I had it easy sitting beside his, his bed and my wife had it really hard having to work, um, get kids places. Our life group showed up huge. The church showed up huge, not only in my life, but in my sister's too. Like she saw the gospel in a way, um, in church family, like never before. But man, like if God, if God hadn't had done that work over the summer, I would never have stepped into that. I would have been like, F you, like I'm done. Yeah. You Like you can die. How did you take care of your dad in that season? It was a lot of um, confronting conversations. It was a lot of, um, Hey dad, like you have cancer and you're not going to get better. So like, we need to have some conversations. Um, I don't mind conflict, um, step into it. Like it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of what I do. (laughs) Yeah. I think conflict brings vulnerability and clarity. And so if we need to, if we need to hash it out, like we will, so that we can get that elephant out of the way. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, you know, there's a lot at play. Like he's super passive. And so even when the doctor told him that he had cancer, he was like, I don't, I don't really think he means cancer. I think he means something else. I'm like, dad, your entire left lung is full of a tumor. Like you're not, like you're not going to, yeah. you're not going to make it. So we had to have some really, really difficult conversations. Um, inviting my sister into those conversations was really hard. Um, she's similar in that sense of not, not really wanting to have to, to go through the pain of that. So, so let me see if I can get my, my brain around this. You have this horrible formative experience and your whole life becomes about the approval of your dad. Yeah. And then the approval of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then you try to hide from that for a decade and then you can't. And Jesus uh, heals you just in time for you to walk through the dif- most difficult season of your dad's life at that time when he would need you the most and to give you the healing that you really need with your dad. What were the conversations like with your dad the last couple weeks? Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't conflict the entire time. I'll, I'll, that sound kind of sounded harsh, I think. Um, but it was a lot of like, how do you feel? Small talking with the nurses forever. Um, like he's king, king of small talk. And it's like, I can't, I, I struggle. I struggle with small talk. Um, so, the, you know, a nurse would leave and I'd be like, dad, like, what are you really thinking? Like, what are you really feeling? Um, what are you scared of? And so we would, we would talk through that. We would work through that. Um, you know, a lot of like, Hey, so this is real. Like, where are you with God on this? Like, where's Jesus right now? How, how are you in Jesus? And he's like, we're really good. We're really good. Cause I remember even, even conversations years before, um, I would always say like he prayed more than anybody I knew, but he had no idea who he was praying to. Mm. And in that he's like, no, like 
God and I are really good. Um, the last, the last conversation we had, he, like he was in hospice and he had to go to the bathroom, was not able to make it. And so just, he just went everywhere. So like got him up out of his bed, put him in a chair, changing him, like super humiliating for him. Like he doesn't want people to take care of him. He was, you know, in construction by himself cause he didn't want, you know, bosses. He didn't want even people to work for him. Uh, he just wanted to do it by himself. And so for him not to be able to like lift his legs or clean himself up, like to have his son have to do it, like just humiliating for him. Um, but we got the bed cleaned up eventually, you know, sitting back down and was like, I like, I just want to give him a back rub, you know? So I was rubbing his back the same way you would a kid when you're tucking him in. And I was like, dad, um, are you ready? Like, are you ready to die? Like, are you afraid to die? And he said, like he sat for a while and got, he got pretty emotional. I'd never seen him cry. And he started, he started to, he was like, I'm ready. Like, I feel good. Like God and I are in a good, a good spot. You know, and in that moment he had said, it's the only encouraging thing I think I ever remember him saying. And he just said, Hey, I'm just, I'm just really so proud of you and your sister. Like you guys, like you never held back. Like you always move towards action. And so from him, like, you know, passive, afraid of things. He's like, you always stepped into stuff. Um, he's like, I just always really admired that about you. And we just like, we just sat there. I got to rub his back a little bit more. He got really tired. I'm like, what, why, like, why don't you rest? Like you just lay down. Um, that was a Tuesday. And like, that was the last time that was the last time we talked. Cause mm-hmm. you know, from there, like I, I'd, I'd call, um, you know, it was like a couple of days later. I was back down, um, but he was pretty incoherent um, before he passed. But um, man, in that was just, I'm here to serve my dad. And I never, I never wanted to serve him, but that was like, that was the heart change that Jesus had done in me yeah. to how, get to that point. And how healing. After your dad passed, you and I had coffee um, and you were pretty fresh off of his death and you brought your journal um, with you. And, and I, I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention over the last, you know, year before that, but it was very clear. You have been practicing journaling for a long time. And around Sequel, we kind of say more of the practice of remembering Mm -hmm. than journaling, although they can be hand in hand. So do you ever go back and read your journals? Yeah. The crazier life gets, the more I try to carve out time. Um, also like pretty introverted. So like even processing information, um, it, it's just helpful for me to write it down. Um, I will often write out a lot of my prayers cause there's, there's so much going on that it's really easy. I mean, we all know, like you sit down to pray and like you remember everything you, you haven't done. Mm-hmm. And so writing slows me down, like physically slows me down you can't write if you're on the go, like you just can't. And so mentally that helps. And then also that helps to see it visually. And then to be able to go back has been one to like, to see where I was at in those different seasons and like to go back and remember exactly. But man, it's, it's to see like things that God had spoken that I forgot um, to see things that he's told me to do that. I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Why that keeps coming up over and over and over. I've, I've not been obedient to that. So I I go back through quite often. Um, this past year I pulled out all my journals and there's like, it's almost one a month right now, just because of the crazy that's happening. Yeah. Um, and to process through a lot. Um, you know, like even now in counseling, like I will 
have the prompts, you know, from that session. And then I'll have to spend, I'll have to spend some time even mm-hmm. processing through that. And I like to write out the process. Mm-hmm. Have you gone back and read the journals from that kind of 40 days with your dad? Yeah. What have you learned in looking back over those journals that maybe you didn't see in real time? How, like how much, this sounds super cliche, but like that God is father. I really, I struggled with that, like that concept, the reality that, that God is father until I had kids. And then it like went a whole deeper level when I felt like I was the dad to my dad and taking care of him the same way that you would take care of a kid who's sick. Um, and it's just, just that care of, yeah, like God is father. Like that, that was really profound um, to me. Also like on another side, like I'm really good at loving for about two weeks and probably isn't love. Um, you know, it's like willpower, but I, I remember specifically like a lot of what I prayed about and asked Jesus to increase in me. It's like, I need you to expand my heart. I need you to expand my heart. Like I, like, I know that he's got cancer. I know that, you know, his, his brain's foggy. He's probably not meaning to be a jerk to the nurses, but like, I want to hit him, you know, like that, like teach me how to love, like specifically the phrase, like Jesus, will you teach me how to love over the long haul? Because Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not good at that. So last question, if you could encourage any, uh, anybody, and I'll say specifically any man to begin to journal, how would you answer the question? Why should I begin to journal or why should I begin to write down what God's saying to me on a daily basis? Specifically as men, like we have so much responsibility on our shoulders, whether we put that on ourselves or expectation, whatever it is. And it's so easy to go from one thing to the next, to the next. And I think journaling, right, whatever you want to call it, Um, it's a gift, not only of slowing down, but to allow God to unpack what he's doing inside. And then also as a remembrance piece to say, Hey, like life's crazy, but I need you to remember how faithful I am to you to be able to see the faithfulness of God and where I was at and like how he's walked me through because yeah, I think the crazier life gets and I don't see life slowing down a whole lot, um, culture wise. Uh, the more important it is to slow down and to allow, like basically just to allow God to unpack you. Yeah. And remembering the faithfulness of God is not optional. No, it's a command. And he's been saying it for a very long time from the very, very beginning. And so we would do well to write down the good things he's doing in our lives so we can look back and remember. Free and Light is a podcast of Seekwell Ministries. We believe that life to the full comes out of an intimate connection with Jesus. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit us at seekwell.org slash donate.